This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. Today is the Feast of the Visitation, according to the 1962 liturgical calendar, which is the liturgical calendar for those who attend the traditional Latin Mass. Even if your parish is not observing this feast today, you may find this to be useful and interesting. This is an important feast day and it occupies a permanent spot on the liturgical calendar. So, this is the reflection on this feast day from Don Prosper Geringer's work, The Liturgical Year. An important work, massive work too. If you are theologically inclined, this is a work you should pick up, partially because it's so easy to understand that you don't need to be a theologian to understand what he's saying here, as you are about to see. Without further ado, the Visitation of the Blessed Virgin Mary by Dom Prosper Geringer Our Lady's visit to her cousin Elizabeth already engaged our attention while we were preparing for the Christmas festival, but it is only fitting to return again to an event so important in Our Lady's life. The mere commemoration of this mystery made on Ember Friday in Advent would be insufficient to bring forward all it contains of deep teaching and holy joy. Since in the course of centuries the Holy Liturgy has been gaining more and more completeness, it is but natural that this precious mind should come to be further opened in honor of the Virgin Mother. The Order of St. Francis, it would seem, as well as certain particular churches, such as Reims and Paris, for example, had already taken the initiative when Urban VI in 1389 instituted today's solemnity. The Pope counseled a fast on the vigil of the feast and ordered that it should be followed by an octave, he granted for its celebration the same indulgences as Urban IV had in the previous century, attached to the festival of Corpus Christi. The bull of promulgation, stopped by the pontiff's death, was again taken up and published by Boniface IX, his successor on the chair of Peter. We learn from the lessons of the office formerly composed for this feast that the end of its institution was, as Urban conceived it, to obtain the cessation of the schism, then desolating the church. The papacy, exiled from Rome for seventy years, had barely re-entered it, when hell, infuriated at a return which crossed all its plans, had taken revenge by ranging under two leaders the flock of the one sheepfold. So deep was the obscurity wherewith miserable intrigues contrived to cover the authority of the legitimate shepherd, that numbers of churches, in all good faith, began to hesitate, and ended at last in preferring the deception, deceptive staff of a hireling. Thicker yet was the darkness to grow, till night should be so dense that for the moment the conflicting mandates of three popes would simultaneously spread throughout the world, while the faithful, struck with stupor, would be at utter loss to discern accurately which was the voice of Christ's true shepherd. Never had the bride of the Son of God been in a more piteous situation, but Our Lady, to whom the true pontiff had turned at the first rising of the storm, deceived not the church's confidence. During all those years while the unfathomable justice of the Most High let the powers of hell hold sway, she stood for the defense of Holy Church, trampling the head of the old serpent so thoroughly under her, her victorious foot, that despite the terrific confusion he had stirred up, his filthy spume could not sully the faith of the people. Their attachment was steadfastly to the unity of the Roman See, whosoever it might be in this uncertainty its veritable occupant. Thus the West, divided in fact, but in principle ever one and undivided, reunited herself spontaneously as soon as God's moment came for the return of light. The hour having arrived for the Queen of Saints to assume the offensive, she would not content herself with merely re-establishing 
at its former post, the Army of the Chosen, hell now must expiate his audacity by being forced to yield back to Holy Church those conquests which for centuries had seemed for his, his forever. The tail of the dragon had not yet ceased to whisk at Basil, when Florence had already beheld the heads of the Greek schism. The Armenians and Ethiopians, the Cavaliers of Jer Jerusalem, of Syria and of Mesopotamia, all compensating for their unhoped-for adhesion to the Roman pontiff for the anguish just suffered in the West. It was now to be shown that such a return of nations, in the very midst even of the tempest, was indeed the work of her who had been called upon by the pilot, half a century before, to succor the bark of Peter. Even they, the factious assembly of Basil, gave proof of this, in a way which has unfortunately been too much overlooked by historians who undervalue the high importance that liturgical facts hold in the history of Christendom. When about to separate, these last abettors of the schism devoted the 43rd session of their pretended council to the promulgation of this very Feast of the Visitation, in the first establishment of which Urban VI had, from the outset, placed all his hope. Notwithstanding the resistance of some of the more obstinate, the schism may, from that hour, be said to have ended. The storm was subsiding. The name of Mary, invoked thus by both sides, shone resplendent as the sign of peace amidst the clouds, even as the rainbow, in its sweet radiance, unites both extremities of the horizon. Look upon it, says the Holy Ghost, and bless him that made it. It is very beautiful in its brightness. It encompasseth the heaven with it with the circle of its glory. The hands of the Most High have displayed it. But it may be asked, why was the Feast of the Visitation specially chosen, more than any other, as a monument of restored peace? The answer seems to be suggested in the very nature of the mystery itself, and in the manner of its accomplishment. Here, more particularly, does Mary appear as the Ark of the Covenant, bearing with her the Emmanuel, the living testimony of a more true reconciliation, of an alliance more sublime between earth and heaven, than that limited compact of servitude entered into between Jehovah and our so-called elder brothers, amidst the roar of thunder. By her means, far better than through Adam, all men are now brethren, for he whom she hides within her is to be the firstborn of the great family of the sons of God. Scarce is he conceived that then there begins for him the mighty work of universal propitiation. Arise then, O Lord, into thy resting place, thou and the ark which thou hast sanctified, when thine own sanctity will be poured down upon our earth. During the whole of her rapid passage from Nazareth to the mountain of Judea, she shall be protected by wings of cherubim, jealously eager to, con to contemplate her glory. Amidst his truest warriors, amidst Israel's chorus of singing men, David conducted the figurative ark from the house of Adinabdab to that of Obedom, but better far the escort deputed by the Eternal Father for the sacred Ark of the New Covenant, troops of the noblest princes of the heavenly phalanx. Favored with benediction was that Levite's house, while for three months it sheltered the most high hidden on the golden propitiatory. More favored still, the home of the priest Zachary, harboring, for the same lapse of time, eternal wisdom enshrined in the virginal womb, wherein that union, so ambitioned by his love, had just accomplished. Yet beneath Zachary's roof, blessed as it was, the enemy of God and man was still holding one captive. The angelic embassy that had announced John's miraculous conception and birth could not exempt him from the shameful tribute that every son of Adam must pay to the prince of death on entering into this life. As formerly as Azotus, so now Dagon may not remain standing erect in the face of the ark. 
Mary appears, and Satan, at once overturned, is subjected to utter defeat in John's soul, a defeat that is not to be his last, for the Ark of the Covenant will not stay its victories till the reconciliation of the last of the chosen be effected. Let us then let us then hymn this day with songs of gladness, for this mystery contains the germ of every victory gained by the church and her sons. Henceforth the sacred Ark is born at the head of every combat waged by the new Israel. Division between man and his God is at an end, between the Christian and his brethren. The ancient ark was powerless to prevent the scission of the tribes. Henceforth, if schism and heresy do hold out for a few short years against Mary, it shall be but to evince more fully her glorious triumph at last. In all ages, because of her, even as today, and under the very eyes of the enemy, now put to confusion, little ones shall rejoice, all shall be filled with benediction, and pontiffs shall be perfected. Let us join the tribute of our songs to John's exulting gladness, to Elizabeth's sudden exclamations, to Zachary's canticle. Therewith let the earth re-echo. Thus as bygone days was the ark hailed, as it entered the, the Hebrew camp. Hearing their shout, the Philistines learned that help had come from the Lord, and seized with terror, they groaned aloud, saying, Woe to us, for there was no such great joy yesterday and the day before, Woe to us! Verily this day the whole human race, together with John, leaps for joy and shouts with a great shout. Verily this day has the old enemy good reason to lament. The heel of the woman, as she stamps him down, makes his haughty head to wince for the first time. And John, set free, is hereby the precursor of us all. More happy are we, the new Israel, then was the old, for our glory shall never be taken away. Never shall be wrested from us that sacred ark which has led us dry shot across the river, and has leveled fortresses to the dust at its approach. Justly then is this day, wherein an end is put to the series of defeats begun in Eden, the day of new canticles for a new people. But who may intone the hymn of triumph, save she to whom the victory belongs? Arise, arise, O Deborah, arise, arise and utter a canticle. The valiant men ceased and rested in Israel until Mary arose, the true Deborah, until a mother arose in Israel. It is I, it is I, saith she, that will sing to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, the God of Israel. O magnify the Lord with me, as saith my grandsire David, and let us extol his name together. My heart hath rejoiced like that of Anna, and God my Savior. For even as is handmaid Judith, by me he hath fulfilled his mercy, so that my prey shall not depart out of the mouth of men, who shall be mindful of the power of the Lord forever. For mighty is he that hath done great things in me. There is none holy as he. Even as by Esther, he hath throughout all generations saved those who feared him. And the power of his army hath turned against the impious one, the projects of his own heart, driving proud Imam out of his seat and uplifting the humble. The bow of the mighty is overcome, and the weak are girt with strength. The abundance of them that were rich hath passed to the hungry, and they are filled. He hath remembered his people, and hath had pity on his inheritance. Such indeed was the promise that Abraham received, and our fathers have handed down unto us. And he hath done to them even as he had promised. Daughters of Sion, and all ye who groan in thraldom of Satan, the hymn of deliverance has sounded in our land. Following in her train, who beareth with her the pledge of allegiance, let us form into choirs, better than Mary, Aaron's sister, and by yet juster title, she leads the concert of Israel. So sings she on this day of triumph, and the burden of her song gathers into one all the victorious chants, which in, in the ages of expectations precluded this divine canticle of hers. But the past victories of the chosen people were but figures of what truly is gained by our glorious queen 
on this day of her manifestation, for she, beyond Deborah, Judith, or Esther, has truly brought about the deliverance of her people, in her mouth the accents of her illustrious predecessors pass, from the burning aspiration of the prophetic age to the calm ecstasy which denotes her being already in possession of the long-expected God. A new era is merely inaugurated by sacred chance. Divine praise receives from Mary that character which henceforth is never to lose, not even in eternity. The preceding considerations have been suggested by the special motive which led the Church to institute this feast in the 14th century. Again, in our own day, Mary showed that this date is indeed for her a day of victory. On the 2nd of July in the year 1849, Rome was restored to the exiled pontiff, Pius IX. But we should far exceed the limits of our present scope, were we to strive to exhaust the teachings of this vast mystery, the visitation. Besides, some have already given in our Advent volume, and others more recently on the feast and octave day of St. John's Nativity. What we mean to add further on this subject is brought to light by the epistle and gospel of the Mass given below. On this day wherein Satan for the first time sees his infernal crew fall back in the face of the sacred ark, two warriors of the army of the Chosen take their rank in our Queen's cortege, deputed by Peter himself during this glad octave to wait upon Mary. They have earned this honor by reason of their faith, which taught them to recognize in Nero's condemned criminal the chief of God's people. The Prince of the Apostles was awaiting his martyrdom in the dungeon of the Mamertine prison, when, led by divine mercy, there came to him two Roman soldiers, the very ones whose names have become inseparable from his own counsel in the church's memory. One was called Prosus, the other Marineris. They were struck by the dignity of the old man, confided for some hours to their ward, who should not again see daylight till he must perish at the gibbet. Peter spoke to them of life eternal and of the Son of God who so loved men as to give the last drop of his blood for their ransom. Processus and Martinez received with docile heart this unexpected instruction. They accepted it with simple faith and craved the grace of regeneration. But water was wanting in the dungeon, and Peter must needs to make use of that power to command nature, bestowed by our Lord upon the apostles when he sent them unto the world. At the word of the old man as a fountain sprang up from the ground, the two soldiers were baptized in the miraculous water. Christian piety still venerates this fountain, which never either brims over or dries up. Persesus and Martinanus were not slow to pay with their life for the honor confirmed upon them, being thus initiated into the Christian faith by the Prince of the Apostles, and they are numbered among God's martyrs. Their cultus is as ancient as that of Peter himself. In the Age of Peace, a basilica was raised over their tomb. St. Gregory pronounced there, on the solemn anniversary of their combat, his 32nd homily on the Gospel. The great pontiff therein renders testimony to the miracles which were operated on that holy spot. And he celebrates in particular the power which those two saints have of protecting their devout clients on the day of the Lord's justice. Later on, St. Paschal I enriched the Basilica of the Prince of the Apostles with their bodies. They now occupy the place of honor in the left arm of the Latin cross, formed by the immense edifice, and they give their name to the whole of this side of the transept, wherein the Vatican Council held its immortal sessions, Fitting was it that this august assembly should carry on its labors under the patronage of these two valiant warriors, who were not only St. Peter's guards, but his conquest in the days of his own glorious confession. Let us not forget these illustrious protectors of Holy Church. The Feast of the Visitation, of more recent institution, has not lessened theirs. Though their glory is now, so to say, lost in that of Our Lady, 
Their power can but have gained in strength by this very approximation to the gentle queen of earth and heaven. And there you have it. There are Dom Prosper Geringer's reflections, for the most part, on the Feast of the Visitation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. He has more to say, but it begins getting into the real nuts and bolts of the traditional Latin Mass, the introit and the mystery and the rest. Not really applicable, I think, so much unless you are going to those Masses. And if you'd like to read them, I found these on the Census Fidelium website. He's got them. He has an article for pretty much everything from Don Prosper Geringer there. If you want to go find it, you can easily by just going to censusfidelium.com. Steve does good work over there. You should uh, make sure to occasionally watch some of his videos if you can. Let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please. I think this is appropriate in our time, especially as error and discord is so rife now that the peacefulness of this feast day should give us some things to reflect on. So I hope you have a good Mass today. Let me know what you thought of this in the comments. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. As always, pray for the Church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.